As we have already expressed, we are so glad that you're here. We appreciate so much your presence this morning. And we hope and trust that as we study together from God's Word, that something we say will be a source of strength and encouragement to you. You'll leave here having been edified and built it up in the most holy faith and say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. I see quizzical looks on some of your faces because of the sound that you hear in the background. Well, that's them demolishing the slab of the old hospital next door to us. I had hoped and I had prayed that the demolition company would have enough respect for being close to a church building that they would at least stop for an hour on the Lord's Day for us to have worship. But obviously you're going to hear that pounding in the background as they attempt to break that slab up. And so there's not anything we can do about it. I did walk out and glare at them early this morning, but apparently that did absolutely no good whatsoever. As we begin our study together this morning, at the very outset, before we say anything else, we need to have a very clear understanding. I love America. And I make absolutely no apology for loving America. I love America, but I do not love the direction that she is heading in. I believe that terrorism is a great threat to our nation. However, I do not believe that terrorism in the form of radical Islam is our greatest threat. I'm well aware that we have powerful enemies around the world. But the most powerful enemies of our nation are within our nation. We have become a nation that has forgotten God. We have become a nation where we treat others with the rule of iron rather than with the golden rule of Jesus. There are those in our nation who have a mad desire for power. And having that mad desire for power, they will do anything and stop at nothing to gain that power. Even if gaining that power means the destruction of America as she has always been known. The problems that we face in America today, beloved, are problems that have domestic and they have international implications. And there is hardly an American home today where separation and heartache are unknown. We have racial unrest, we have class warfare, we have emotional instability, and we have economic uncertainty. And our government is riddled with protocol, it's clogged with bureaucracy, and it's filled with corruption. And through tear-dimmed eyes, millions of Americans wonder, what does the future hold? Arnold Toynbee was a noted historian. And he once wrote that of 21 notable civilizations, Nineteen of them perished, not from external conquest, but from the evaporation of belief within. 
There is abundant evidence that America has already begun to make that same fatal choice. That's why this morning we turn to the wise man in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 for our text. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Then again, perhaps this is an apt description of our nation. There is a rapid increase of divorce with the undermining of the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of society. There are higher and higher taxes with the spending of public money for bread and celebrations. There is a mad craze for pleasure with sport becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. There is the building of giant armaments when the real enemy is within the decadence of the people. Finally, observe the decay of religion with faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to guide it. Does that not sound like America of the 21st century? Well, actually, those are five factors contributing to the fall of ancient Rome. They are in the definitive work by Gibbons entitled The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Now, as I said at the very beginning, I love America. I am an unabashed, unashamed, unapologetic, unrepentant patriot. I love America. I'm proud of America. And folks, that's not just a recent thing. Unlike some folks in influential positions in our nation today, I've been proud of my country all of my adult life. Now, I realize there are folks that are ashamed of America. I realize that there are folks that think they should circle the globe to apologize for America. And I know that there are those that think this country is mean-spirited. And there are many in high office that want to model America after the failed nations of Europe. And there are those today who hold office. There are those today seeking office who want to take America into the direction of socialism and Marxism. And they want to follow the model of Venezuela and Cuba. I have a great suggestion for those folks. If you want so badly to live in a country modeled after Venezuela and Cuba, Go to Venezuela and Cuba where the heavy lifting and the hard work has already been done and you don't have to try to remake America. It's already done for you. Rather than model America after Venezuela or Cuba, just move. No hard feelings. They'd be happier. And those of us that love America would be a lot happier too. I actually get somewhat indignant. Nah, that's not a good way of saying it. 
I get a whole lot indignant. Sometimes when I turn on the news reports and I see Europeans speaking evil of America, and I see people in European countries chanting things that are anti-American, because folks, I was a history major when I was in college, and if it were not for the blood of American soldiers, people in France would be speaking German today. And it makes my blood run hot when I see on television images of people that burn the American flag, spit on the American flag, and speak vile things about the land of their birth. And then the Supreme Court comes along and says, well, burning the flag is protected free speech. And it makes me say, you've got to be kidding But that's the kind of nonsense that takes place in this country today. An apartment management company or a homeowner's association makes someone take a flag down from the balcony of their apartment or take down the flagpole in front of their house because it violates the homeowner's association rules. And then some Neanderthal comes along and sets fire to the flag on the street in front of that same house or that same apartment building. And then I think of American soldiers that shed their blood and gave their lives, that died to allow that kind of foolishness to take place. I love that flag. And yes, I still get misty-eyed when I hear the Star-Spangled Banner played. And it's because of this deep love And this deep affection that I have for America, that I fear so greatly for her. We often hear and we often sing in groups that familiar refrain, God bless America. And I'm not going to sing it for you, and aren't you glad of that? But the song closes, God bless America, my home sweet home. It's my home. And I don't want people disrespecting my home. But when I think of that song, a question comes to my mind. What kind of America can we expect God to bless? A great nation may survive a political collapse. A great nation may survive a financial collapse. We've survived more than one in this country. But write this down. It's on the final exam. No nation on the top side of God's green earth can survive a moral or a spiritual collapse. And there are those in our country who want to pervert the fundamental principle of freedom of religion. There have been those in our country who have used this pandemic, or as I like to call it, this present distress, as an opportunity to ban religious services 
as an opportunity to ban church assemblies, as an opportunity to even say, oh, you can't sing in church. And yet those same politicians who have banned worship services, who have banned singing in church, who have banned church assemblies, those same politicians have encouraged protests numbering into the thousands. Are we unable to see the hypocrisy in things such as that, my friends? Are we blind to the utter disdain, the outright, downright contempt that some in elected office in this country of ours have toward Christianity? There's another passage I want to read you. All men are created equal. And they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now you would expect me to give you a biblical reference for that now, wouldn't you? Well, I can't. But it is in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America. And that passage is significant. All men are created equal. And they are endowed by their Creator. That passage in the Declaration of Independence is indicative of the fact that the founding fathers of this nation had a supreme faith in the divine Creator, God. And it's evidenced by their reference to the Creator in the language of that Declaration. Now our text we read a moment ago, Righteousness exalteth a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. That's indicative of the fact that in a nation, righteousness is required. And basic morality has not yet been sufficiently applied to politics. It is forgotten that the Bible relates to communities and nations as well as this Bible re relates to individuals. And we still have not learned that what is wrong in an individual is also wrong in society. And the reign of righteousness must govern public and national movements if the will of God is going to be Respected. Here's a news flash for you. Righteousness is not a concept that is in vogue in America today. You don't hear anybody in the news media beating the drum and making a plea for righteousness. When was the last time you heard a politician speak about righteousness and living God's kind of life or living according to biblical principles or living the right kind of life? Now, you get some open mic moments, some hot mic moments when politicians aren't aware of what's being going out over the airways, and you can get an earful. You can get an earful of things I wouldn't carry in my pocket that some of those guys have in their mouth. Righteousness in a nation 
implies three things. It implies sovereignty. If there is such a thing as righteousness, then someone sovereign must determine what that righteousness is. But humanity has a (coughs) varied righteousness. In fact, varied righteousness in humanity, a better name for it is situation ethics. Whatever the situation is, the ethics of it determine what I want it to be. There is no right or wrong. The thing is, as human beings, you and I would never be able to agree on what is righteous and what is unrighteous. But this book tells us God is an authority on righteousness. Psalm chapter 98 and verse 2, The Lord has made known His salvation. His righteousness has He openly showed in the sight of the heathen. Righteousness implies that there is a standard. Standard of right and wrong. And folks, society today doesn't want a standard. Most of society in our world today won't even admit that a standard exists. And that's the primary reason that the Word of God is being attacked so severely today by unbelievers. At the founding of this nation, this book, the Bible, was held in high esteem. There are direct and indirect quotations from the Bible in the correspondence of the founding fathers of our nation. And righteousness implies a straightness. It implies that there is a standard. It implies a straightness. It's one thing to admit there is a standard. It's quite another thing to make that standard your own standard. But the word in our text intimates a personal righteousness. It intimates a personal morality. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. My friends, righteousness is a blessing to a nation. To the cynical politician... Councils of perfection that would command conscience in government are simply visionary and impractical. And there are such things as national sins. Sins that are committed by a great part of our nation. And you would expect me to mention things like drunkenness or gambling or sexual immorality or perversions and things of that nature. But I'm going to tell you something else that's a national sin. And that's greed, dishonesty, and corruption in public office. Are you familiar with Diogenes? How many this means yes, this means no. You familiar with Diogenes? Okay, this means yes, this means no, and this means huh. And I'm getting a lot of huh. 
Diogenes was a character of mythology who carried around a lantern looking for an honest man. As God in heaven is my witness, if Diogenes went to Washington, D.C. and went up and down the halls of Congress and government bureaucracy, somebody would steal his lantern. Righteousness is a blessing to a nation. Righteousness is obtained by following Jesus Christ. If we're going to be a righteous nation, and if we're going to ask for God to bless America, we've got to follow Jesus Christ. I want to read the words of the Apostle Paul. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 through 6. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We must pray unceasingly. James would write in James chapter 5 and verse 16, pray without ceasing. James would say, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. The effectual, fervent man of a righteous man availeth much. Paul wrote to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We must pray at home and we must pray at church. We must pray at midweek services. We must pray while we're driving down the road. We must pray while we're doing the laundry, while we're mowing the lawn, while we're cleaning the house, while we're doing our chores. We must pray when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. We must pray at every opportunity. If we want to see good things happen in America and if we want to see good things happen in our own lives. We've got to pray for everyone that means anything at all to us and some folks that don't mean anything to us. We've got to pray for our mates. We've got to pray for our children, for our family members, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our leaders in the church, and for our leaders in the nation. And if we pray long enough, and hard enough, and fervently enough, and faithfully enough, God will change things for the better. We must never, ever doubt the power of God or the power of prayer. We've got to live righteously. Look again at verse 2. That we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's what God wants out of me and you. God wants us to be godly, holy, righteous people. Do we sometimes behave like a beast? And you're thinking, well, you might, but I don't. I bet you do. At home, at Walmart, driving down the road and somebody cuts us off in traffic? Do we ever behave like a beast? 
You know, the thing is, we can be pretty good people at church. Most of the time. But God is interested in how we act and how we react outside the church. We've got to live God's kind of life. We've got to evangelize fervently. Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew and Mark. He said, go and teach all (coughs) nations. It was universal in nature. It was worldwide in scope. And it's the duty of every generation to preach the gospel. And sadly, most of us do little or nothing at all to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. The unbelieving world out there, the world of the heathen, the world of the secular progressive is out there shouting their message from the housetops and oftentimes the church of God is barely whispering the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not expect us to do everything. But God does expect us to do something. Jesus will show through in our lives because He's bigger than we are and lives inside of us. John would write, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The great question this morning is, are you following Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of your life? If Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. I don't know what changes you need to make, but if you need to make changes, for Jesus to be Lord of all of your life, this is your opportunity to do it. As together we stand and while we sing.